Well there, dead lovely listeners. I've got some news for you, and you are going to like it. Because it's a brand new episode of Dead and Lovely, the greatest horror movie podcast of all time. And today, we're going to be shooting the shit, having a good time, and talking about John Carpenter's Prince of Darkness. Your hosts, for the most, along the way, are me, your good buddy, Uncle Ben. I'm Calder. Oh, you're Calder. I mean, Hollywood Steve. Oh, okay. All right. All right. I got kind of confused there for a second. I was like, is this Calder? No, no, no. He's uh, He came out of that uh, church in 1999 and wiped out the world, I think, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that does <laughs> tend to happen in this movie, which is absolutely awesome. It's and great. we're going to do a, a good old deep dive review and chat about this thing. If you want to skip to the review portion, well, good for you. There's a timestamp in the dang old podcast description you can use to get to that point of the show if you don't want to hang out with us, if you're better than us oh, or whatever, I'm and don't so want to cool. hear about all the cool movies we've been watching and talk about the cool beer that we're going to be drinking and stuff like that. I just love your reviews, but I don't care about your stupid lives. Uh. Uh, it's not really about the person personalities it's just about the review it helps me make a decision about if i should watch a movie or not that's why i listen to these two hour long podcasts <laughs> imagine somebody listens to our show to figure out if they should watch the movie oh, or not gosh i can't imagine no because like <laughs> what uh, where would that get you it would, you'd be like i think it has a lot of fart jokes in it no that's us <laughs> it didn't do that we did that unless exactly. it's the lighthouse oh, oh yeah there were plenty in there that's true <laughs> <laughs> how you been doing this week steve i've been good man i've been kicking it been watching lots of great horror movies really just getting into the season Ooh, that's right. As we record this, it's kind of our final week of, of Halloween. It's October 27th yeah. at yeah. the moment in you the know, year 2020. <laughs> you, know, uh, you know when this comes out, Ben? When does it come out? This episode. <gasps> it comes out the day after the election. Oh, Lord. <laughs> so I've been thinking all week about how we address this. So either... I assume some people are happy, or either some people are really sad. Oh yeah, um, we're we have no idea what has happened. So in this episode, if we seem overly happy for a very depressing moment, sorry, <laughs> <laughs> we don't know what has happened. Exactly, this happened before whatever just happened yeah. happened. So yeah. excuse our glee. <laughs> <laughs> So you've been watching some good flicks this week, huh? Yeah, I've been getting into a lot of of newer stuff that mm. I haven't seen. I know last week we talked a little bit about how, like, you know, we haven't seen a ton of kids' movies from, like, the 2000s, 2010s, so we can't really judge if there were some good, like, Halloween movies that came out. So I was like, well, sure. I'll, I'll check one out. I checked out Goosebumps with that there Jack Black in it. Gersberms, really? Gersberms, Gersberms. I'm a gerd. It. Uh, I had a fun time watching it. It was enjoyable. It was silly. It's definitely for kids. Uh, but That's it was all right. fun. Definitely okay. a good, a good movie to toss on around Halloween times. I remember whenever that came out, and like a bunch of horror nerds were talking about how terrible it was and how it was just so watered down and blah blah blah. And I'm like, but it's Goosebumps with Jack Black. Like, what were you expecting to get out of it? And also, it's goosebumps what do you mean watered yeah. down have you reread goosebumps or are you just remembering reading goosebumps when you were 10 
Yeah. Because <laughs> it's goosebumps. It's not as dark as it was Y'all. when I was eight. <laughs> <laughs> it used to be fucking dark, bro. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's it's a silly... I mean, you know, it genuinely was scary for kids, but uh, it, it's silly, and it, it was fun silly. I enjoyed it. Uh, I also okay. watched that new Witches, the, the remake, on the HBO. Well, it's funny that you did that, because I happened to watch... An old witch's mine had Mr. Bean in it. Did yours? Mine did not have Mr. Bean in it. Mm, Low bean Mm. count. Not a lot of fiber in that new one, huh? Yeah, that is a problem. I didn't really realize that. You Mm. need your bean. (laughs) Mine was chock full of Morticia Adams. How about yours? Mm, No, no, no. It uh, It had an Anne Hathaway. Oh, a cat woman, huh? Yeah, I had a cat woman. It had uh it had a ma in it. Okay. It yeah. was narrated by Chris Rock, which was an issue for me. Okay, how so? Because I just imagine that would be distracting. Yep. It is. It's very distracting because it's fucking hmm. Chris Rock. Yeah, it's you not, can't really separate the voice from the guy. Yeah, it's not like it's me, Morgan Freeman. <laughs> like it's not like this calming voice. It's Chris Rock. So the whole time you're like, oh, that's Chris Rock, not this character. It's supposed to be. It's Chris Rock. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I imagine for kids it works just fine because they don't know who Chris Rock is. But for sure, me, it's like yeah. that is comedian Chris Rock. I've heard him for most of my life. Like that's just who he is. Um. So it, it, that took me out a bit. Plus. Some of the CGI was not great. I was great. figuring it was going to be bad because yeah. like, I saw the, the trailer and the posters and stuff and I was like, oh my God, man. It's just like CGI Fest 1998 yeah. over there. I think the mice were cute and worked well, but you know, um, there's a cat in it that doesn't work for me at all. Mm. And uh, also a snake that I was like, was this supposed to be in 3D or something? Uh, anyway, it, it wasn't terrible. Yeah. It, and it's not nostalgia telling me the old one's better. The old one is better, I think. But it it had its charms for sure. Right on, man. Yeah, I was wondering about it because we did just rewatch the the old one there the other night. We wanted to watch the new one, but there's all kinds of like red tape and shit with Hulu mm. and HBO Max, dude. The whole HBO scenario, yeah, it's just crazy. confuses me and pisses me, me off. Too. It's like, well, you can stream HBO, or there was HBO Go, but now that's just HBO. But there's also HBO Max, and it's like, what the fuck? Why can't yeah. I just have one that covers all of it? It kind of reminds me of like back in the '90s comic book days when it was like, well, there's X Men, but there's also Uncanny X Men, right. but there's mm-hmm. also X Men Unlimited, and it's just uh-huh. like, God, like all these titles, it's the same fucking characters. Yeah. <laughs> That was fun, right? Oh, no, 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 because it cost all of your fucking money. Oh, right, right, <laughs> right, yeah. right. Yeah. That wasn't streaming supposed to fix the problems of cable? No. Oh, no, yeah, no. It's just becoming cable a la carte is what it's really becoming. Yeah, even more expensive in the long run as well. Yeah, no kidding, man. Pretty annoying. Yeah, I want to watch the new one. The old one is still a blast. We watched that the other day, and... It still got like some stuff that I know would have creeped me out if I was a kid, like the girl and the painting and stuff like that. It's still just a fun watch. We watch that one like every year. Yeah. Yeah. It's worth a watch. Definitely, man. What else you seen? I have watched three movies this this uh, that have come out recently this week and enjoyed them. 
first big biggest name, the Invisible Man, with oh, uh, okay, yeah, Lizzie Moss, kicking ass. Uh, I enjoyed it. Really enjoyed the themes. Had a number of problems, like plot hole Same. issues with it. Yeah, plenty, man. Yeah. But it's like there's there's message stuff in there that I think is really good. But yeah. then but the, it's like you said, like five minutes later after the movie, you're like, ah, why would that have happened? <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, so uh, that's that's one we'll definitely do on the show at some point. I think so. Yeah. I also watched Bad Hair, which is on Hulu, which is uh, set in 1989. It's sort of a horror. It specifically, uh, I think, deals with with issues that black women have with their hair and and how it is uh, basically a source of racial frustration where they're constantly expected to be Europeanized. And to, you know, conform to the hair standards of white women. Yeah, yeah. Be less scary to the white people. Yeah. So, it's got that message running throughout, but it's also just, like, uh, aside from having that message, has a good, tense storyline running throughout as well. So, well worth a watch on Hulu. Hmm. I was wondering about that one. And also, I watched... 1BR, which uh, is one bedroom, uh, on Netflix, which is a low-budget horror movie that came out uh, maybe last year, I think. But it's it um, it is so tense, and Ooh. the low-budgetness of it actually plays well for it. I don't want to say too much, but it is... Um, Boy, it's why it's a wild, tense, tense ride. Okay, awesome, man. Would yeah. you give me like a, a basic horror subgenre it might fit in? Oh gosh, no, I don't want to reveal too much. But okay, I, right. I'll tell you that a uh, 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 young woman moves to LA to try to make it as a fashion designer, moves into an apartment complex where everyone is super friendly. Hmm. Okay. So it's a Mormon horror movie where everybody's a little too friendly and too nice. I won't say too much, but that's, huh? <laughs> Not inaccurate, huh? Hmm. <laughs> I'll find so, out about it, man. Yeah. Check them out. So uh, yeah, I've, I've had a, a good week of just uh, all new stuff to me. How about you, Ben? You know, Steve, we sat down and watched ourselves, and I'll tell you, man, I I like the movie, but I don't support the message. Okay, okay, I want to clarify that before I even talk about the movie itself, but we watched ourselves one of the strongest pieces of anti-mask propaganda, Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. <laughs> <laughs> Masks will turn your head into bugs. It's uh, true. Apparently full, just fill your head full of serpents <laughs> and insects and all kinds of terrible things. It's a very anti-mask movie, but wow. man, it is a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah that's exactly what it is wow so yeah it still stands up huh yeah probably more relevant now than ever steve yeah that's true because <laughs> because of the the conspiracy of course that uh perpetuated by the liberals out there eating their babies of and course, of course like we do. using pieces of of stonehenge to turn kids heads into bugs and and lizards and snakes and all sorts of things <laughs> using masks. <laughs> Q has spoken. 
this is the world the liberals want. We need to make like a meme yeah. or something that has <laughs> stills from Season of the Witch great, plus yeah. that. <laughs> Dude, it's such a fucking crazy ass movie. Yeah, it's it one is. of those ones it that is. you watch and you're just like, mm. who the fuck thought this up? You know? Yeah, it's a it's a man, it is a good Halloween movie. Like Yeah. Around Halloween, it's it's exact because like the other Halloween ones, Halloween is going on. But this one is about Halloween. Yeah, it's hard to get more Halloween-y unless you also watched it and listened to our review where we talked about it a while back. Yeah, I think it was last year. Mm-hmm, and this, that's uh, right. This so o- maybe around October. Just around October this time, man. That's right. I'll tell you what. We did watch a movie that I had to give about 10 minutes in the penalty box oh. for unnecessary hotness. I'm talking about practical magic. What's with all the hot <laughs> people in that movie? Everybody being hot all over the place. I, Halloween's supposed to be cold. Who is in Practical Magic? I don't remember. Uh, San, 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 Sandy, what's her, what's her crotch? She's in Sandy there, Sandy right? Bullock, thank That's you. That's uh-huh. I kept saying, I kept thinking uh, Sandra Bernhardt. <laughs> I was like, I don't think she's in that. I don't think she's in there. And uh, Nicole Kidman. Oh, Nicole Kidman. Okay. Right, right, right. Yeah. And uh, it's just, you know, I'll tell you what, Steve. It's honestly kind of a boring movie to me. Like, I hadn't watched it in years. And uh-huh. it started, and I was like, oh, this is pretty cool. I forgot about all this stuff. And then the movie just kind of keeps on going. Oh, um, yeah. But it's okay, happens. I guess. It's a pretty movie. Okay. I, you know, I haven't seen it ever, I don't think. Yeah. I don't think so. I don't think I have. Because, like, I do remember the preview for it. Because when you said Nicole Kidman and uh, Sandy Bullock, uh, like, I remembered something. Maybe I did see it. I think it came on HBO back in the day a lot, didn't it? Could be. I don't know. I might have seen it. I don't remember it, though. <laughs> but it's 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 worth watching, I guess, you know? We also watched ourselves a little documentary last night as part of our weekly Monday tradition. It's one that, that Kate picked out called Who Took Johnny? Oh. Which is about a kidnapping case in 1982 that led to, like, for example, the first time that they started putting, like, missing kids on milk cartons oh, and okay. stuff. Yeah, the, the missing Man. milk carton kid case. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's not an uplifting watch. I I'm going to tell not. you that. Mm-hmm. That's sad. It's uh it's pretty fucked up. It's pretty, pretty fucked up, man. They uh you know, spoilers, I never solved the case and stuff. So it's yeah. really about, you know, their entire frustration with the Justice Department and the FBI and everybody being like, I don't know, maybe mm. we don't investigate this instead of investigating it. And it mm. seems extremely, extremely shady. And it even kind of gets into some of the, the Franklin cover up stuff too. Law enforcement and shady, those things. They don't go together. Impossible. Impossible. Oil and water. <laughs> uh, worth a watch. I mean, it's definitely okay. definitely scary and sad, but worth checking out. So, yeah. I think that's about all that I've watched this week. I've had a pretty busy week because as we uh, have been, you know, looking for a new permanent residence and stuff like that, we decided it's about time we get all of our extra junk we've been storing in our family's basements oh, yeah. out of there and put it into a storage space. And Steve, I'll tell you what, man, on the list of people that also includes plumbers and uh-huh. people that file taxes for self-employed persons right. like myself, I'm going to add people that own and work for moving services onto my list. I'm going to put them on the list of things that are worth 
literally anything you have to pay for them. <laughs> literally anything. Okay. Absolutely worth it. You know, it's yeah. one of those it's one of those chunks to change that you're just like, I don't know, we could do it ourselves. No, have somebody else do it. You will thank yourself. I've only had one thing ever moved in by professionals and it was it was my couch when I first bought my my couch that I still have and love. It is heavy, it's long. It uh down to get the friction on it's bound to get the friction on it did not fit <laughs> in the freight elevator so they had to climb it up seven flights Ooh. of stairs uh-uh no way no which i was like boy glad i didn't have to do that and then i had to move out so i had to take it down seven flights of stairs and those Good guys God. were way bigger than me and my brother-in-law <laughs> <laughs> so yeah whatever you sucked. pay those dudes it's worth it man yeah yeah, definitely. I think if I had a, a moving service, I would definitely call it, we like to move it, move it. <laughs> you know? That's pretty dope. Yes. Yep. And every, anytime somebody calls, you just answer the phone, and you're like, we like to move it, move it. Move you it. You have to answer the phone that way. Uh-huh. I like it. <laughs> I love it. I want but some the job more is it. done, and the people are paid, and our stuff is now in the same county well, that that's we live great. in. So yeah, it's moving a sucks. good thing. And you know what, Steve? I feel like with as much as I've busted my hump, because I mean, yeah, you know, I busted. did a little, a little tiny bit of work. I moved some boxes out of an area and put them yeah. in another area. But I did a little bit. I think I've earned myself a little taste of refreshment, Steve. What do we have? Well, Ben, this I am excited about. This is a Thirsty Planet Cosmic Butterfly Kettle Ooh. Sour that Lamar brought to us. And let me tell you, I have been looking forward to this because the description here says a light tart ale with a crisp malt character uh, fluttering with lemon and tea notes. Cosmic Ooh, Butterfly Kettle Sour morphs blue butterfly pea flowers into a refreshing light Berliner Weiss style ale with a distinct cosmic color. And I've already poured it out, and that it's color perp. is awesome. It is perp, dude. It looks yeah. awesome. Mm -hmm. It also smells great. It's got a pretty low ABV. I think like 3.9 or something yeah, like that. Yeah. I uh, I liked it because when I read it, it kind of, the idea of like a nice lemon tea thing sounded nice. I'm a Ooh. little bit thirsty, and I gotta get me a taste. I think if you get you a pull of that, it's gonna refresh you yet nicely, because I just had myself a sip, and it is a delight. Yeah, this is very drinkable. I could sip on this on a cool evening, or a hot evening, any evening. It's gotta be evening, though. Okay, yeah, you want that dusty yeah, feel in the air before you swallow gets, this and down. Yeah, somebody hands me this in the middle of the day. I'll get angry as fuck. I will just throw it. That is a delight. Like it's That great. is every bit as like refreshing as a nice light seltzer or something. Like It's fizzy mm. a little bit. It's got just a little bit of tartness to it. It's not super yeah. sour or anything like that, but it's got a little bit of that lemony, acidic kind of bite to it. And the, it's also, you can taste that tea-y flavor yeah. to it. Mm-hmm. You know, I had another sour last week. I can't remember who made it, but it was a sour that was brewed with some kind of tea, mm. and it was awesome. So I guess this is just a good match. I mean, it makes yeah. sense, because even when you have tea and you put lemon in yeah, it, that's a little, lemon in there. Yeah. little tea, a little sour in there, so it makes sense to do that in a beer rig, too. That's delightful. I could yeah. absolutely yeah. like 
drink several of those. A lot of the beers that we do here on the show are so like brutal and heavy that it's like one and done. Yeah, no, this uh, is but like this, I could have a couple two tree of couple two tree, couple two tree. That's a really good one. Thank you so much for donating that beer to our cause of horror and yeah. mayhem. Thanks again, Lamar. Yeah, you are the man. I don't care what people say about you, Lamar. They I think you're all up, right. Though. They won't shut I up. I mean, boy, howdy. I'll tell you what. Lamar, they do say a lot. too handsome. Oh, no. Get him oh out God. of here. His dick is too peachy. <laughs> <laughs> Common you complaint. You don't hear that one a lot. You don't hear that complaint <laughs> a lot, but it, it's real. It'll hurt. It'll hurt if uh-huh. you hear it about you. <laughs> well, Steve, I'll tell you what. This here movie, this Prince of Uh Darkness Mm -hmm. by John Carpenter. That's right. It's one that features a little fella in there by the name of Elise Cooper. That's the one. Mm -hmm. Elise Cooper. And, you know, Mm -hmm. he's one of those guys that as rock and roll royalty, if you're a guitar strummer, if you're a headbanger, if you're one of them hooligans like me, you're kind of automatically supposed to really like Alice Cooper. Right? So you do, right? You love him. He's your favorite. But Steve, I don't. I actually don't. And I'll tell you, this isn't the only other unpopular musical opinion that I have. So I just think, and this is just me talking. Yeah. This is just me talking out my mm-hmm. ass right here. Maybe you don't agree with you. Maybe you do. I don't know. I'll just put it out there. Okay. What if before we get into the movie review ski, right. we take a little detour, okay? Just you and me here. Mm-hmm. We're gonna mm-hmm. you know, we're gonna put a pin in the review portion. We're gonna get there in a second. But first we stop off at the preview palace, okay? No more preview palace. <laughs> no, no, no. I don't wanna hear that song. I don't like it. Oh I told you oh. already. <laughs> How about now that we're here in the preview palace, we just take a second here and we share with our dead and lovely listeners, our most mm-hmm. trusted friends, the ones that we know yeah. won't judge us. They won't no, they will. drop us like a they hot potato. Yeah, will. they probably will. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I should say like our fans that we know will shit talk us on our own Facebook group. Yeah, and but that's I do the love fun that. part. <laughs> that's the best part. <laughs> <Yeah>. Exactly. <laughs> How about we just share with these busters? Uh-huh. Our personal top three unpopular okay. musical opinions. Everybody's got them. Everybody has that one contrarian friend, like old yeah. Brandon Suttles that says he doesn't like the Beatles. Whatever, Brandon. <laughs> listen, whatever. You just honestly, need to listen to more Beatles. Honestly, I, that was one I had as an alternate. Don't say I it don't, to me, Steve. Don't really don't care say for it. the Beatles. I don't hate them. If the Beatles song is playing, it's like, oh, okay. Hmm. <laughs> I mean, you're free to be really fucking wrong about that, but Sorry. whatever. Sorry. <laughs> you know how sometimes opinions are wrong? It's one of those, okay? I've heard it's of one those. Of those. I've heard of those, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you got some unpopular opinions of your I own do. you want to share with these busters? I do. This one, uh, this is my, my broadest uh, unpopular opinion. Music has never been better. There you go. Okay. Whoa, okay, wait, wait, just in general. You're just saying right now. It's never been better. I mean, I'm alive, so it's a good start. Okay, okay, this is a good start. It's never been better. You can't name a time when it was better because it wasn't. It's never been better. 
What in the world makes you say that, Steve? How can you say that? Uh, we have more music now than we had before. We have access to people we wouldn't have had access to before because of distribution models. You can hear music from so many more talented people than you ever could have before. Music's mm, never okay, been better. Right. Ben, what, uh, what other unpopular music opinion do you have? Okay. So I like things that are nice. I like nice music. There's really only two kinds of music. This is a fact. Mm -hmm. There's good music and there's right. bad music. Gotcha. And a lot of times the bad music is honestly more fun. Okay. That's just a fact. Okay. I like a little bit of everything. But I'll tell you, Steve, one dude that I've never understood, and this is you know just based entirely on the music. I'm not talking about the, the controversial personality that's attached to it or anything like that, but... I've never fucking figured out why people like Kanye West. I have tried. I've listened to the music. I've heard his own opinion of himself, obviously, as well as other people's opinion of his music that just seem to go nuts over it. I've just never understood what makes it any fucking different than anything now, else. Now, Ben, I'm disappointed in this unpopular uh -oh. opinion because this is, this is very clearly nodding to every one of your fans who is going to be like, yeah, Ben, that is an unpopular... That's not an unpopular opinion. <laughs> I think tons of people hate him, right? I Isn't know, but like a, I hated him before it was popular to hate him, Steve. I'm like hipster, anti-hipster. I've always disliked Kanye. <laughs> like, like South Park <laughs> made an entire episode making fun of him. SNL makes fun of him constantly. It is just a constant. Yeah. But, yeah, he does win awards, though. So I guess it's unpopular in some ways. You don't like, like Gold Digger. You're not into like none of the popular stuff at all. It's fine. Like, that's the thing. Is like, I'm not going to say I fucking hate it. Do not play that. I It's like nails on a chalkboard to me. I'm not saying huh. that. It's just like, why was this guy hyped up so much? Or was it just his own hype? Because to me, it's it's fine. It's just nothing special at all. I mean, yeah. I mean, a lot of it is his own hype. That's, but the, he also was something different at the time, though. Okay. So many people have come along since then. Yeah, I, I, I like Kanye. I don't know. I, I don't. Well, fine, uh, you be that way. You but sit I, over there with your opinions. I think you're right. It is an unpopular opinion overall, but I think you'll get applause for it. <laughs> From, from your fans <laughs> who will be like thank you for saying the thing we all agree with <laughs> also death to all but metal <laughs> yeah that's exactly that's what I was gonna say uh, that's my unpopular opinion and I, I think it probably is more popular now than it ever was but if you are a genre fan I don't trust your opinions on music like oh, you're talking about like guys that are just like I. Yeah. I live and breathe this one yeah. genre, and that doesn't it. matter yeah. what the genre is. I'm not saying one particular genre. I'm saying any genre fan. I will not listen to your opinion on anything except that genre. <laughs> like because <laughs> I get it. Like yeah, because like you you run into somebody who's a classical music fan and could tell you all sorts of wonderful things that you should listen to, and then they get snobby when you start talking about pop music, and it's like, well, fuck, I don't. You're stupid. You were stupid if you can't like Tchaikovsky and Britney. You're yeah. you're bad at music. You're bad at it. <laughs> like, 
So I, I just, I, I don't like anyone who only likes one genre. And I also, I am not saying I don't like them. I don't trust their musical opinion. But I, I also, this is something that grates my nerves. People who say I like everything but rap and country. Oh, yeah. That's totally you mean like an having entire personality bad opinion? type. That, you mean you <laughs> like having bad opinion. Gotcha. Yeah. Dude, I know exactly what you mean, though, because there are a lot of people that just zero in on that one genre, and that's yeah. it. They don't even give anything else a chance. And it's yeah. like, to me, it's as weird as meeting somebody who's just like, oh, I only eat Thai. It's like, yeah. that's literally the only thing I like, eat. I don't on, eat bro. Cheerios in the morning because that's not Thai. <laughs> I don't Even care. Thai people don't only eat Thai. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're like, let's call it for American, you know? <laughs> yeah. And that's the thing that's funny about it, too, is like the people that are making that genre that you're so obsessed with probably listen to a lot of other genres, probably don't listen to the genre of music that they write and play yeah. honestly from my experience yeah because you gotta get you gotta get ideas outside the genre you gotta bring new stuff in you gotta refresh it that's what makes it interesting and that's what just always bores me about people who only listen to one type of music or whatever thing it's just they know that and that's good I, you need people who know something real specifically who can really tell you the ins and outs of that but if they can also you know pop on a hip-hop album and enjoy it it's like oh, come on man you're missing out on so much <laughs> yeah no kidding man i'll tell you what though steve i don't feel like i'm missing out of much with my second unpopular musical oh. opinion well, you right. ready for this yeah, yeah yeah okay and again i know this is also probably gonna chap you a little bit but i think you already <laughs> know this about me yeah and you've just accepted it and we're still friends I regardless i know where you're going already Oh, wait, excuse me. Irregardless, because that's a word oh, now. Oh, no, it's not. It's not good. <laughs> Steve, I don't like Radiohead mm. like, at all. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I just I just don't like it. It sounds and looks like the McPoyles from Sunny. <laughs> it's just a bunch of weird, depressing, whiny music. I'll, I'll tell you this. Okay, I'll preface before I start getting blasted here. Bliggity You're blasted. You're not going to get blasted. Again, this is your They're safest They're going to blast opinion. me, Steve. <laughs> I'm like in a safe you, space. You, if you had said, I like Creed, that's an unpopular opinion. <laughs> you said to a bunch of guitar guys, I don't like Radiohead, and they're going to go, yeah two for two bit uh, you can't see it but right now i'm pretending to play guitar while saying two for two bit because that's ooh, them ooh, ooh. yeah you're just air guitaring it up there yeah. huh? <laughs> but they're actually playing a guitar yeah yeah <laughs> speaking of creed funny enough man we were walking through old market square in downtown knoxville there the other day and there was a guy there like you know singing his heart out in the middle of of the square for tips and stuff yeah only he was singing my sacrifice by creed <laughs> and it's like <laughs> are you looking for money or are you looking for somebody to punch you in the face i don't know <laughs> but did he get that <laughs> i'm sure i'm sure he got a couple shut yeah. ups <laughs> so yeah admittedly I, he was singing it pretty good yeah, i think so. you're right though yeah radiohead is is a huge huge band or was i mean now probably far less so but yeah i think they're at that point where they're not necessarily gaining fans like they probably retained a lot but probably not gaining more yeah that's and that's actually probably been that way since in rainbows right like the the one that yeah. they released that they, they were just like pay whatever you want that's probably oh yeah 
the last time they were like super in the news and probably gained new fans that was like the mid 2000s so yeah but they are they are like a they are a band that people will look back like 50 years they'll look back and say they're one of the more important bands so it is definitely an unpopular opinion to not like them well i'll tell you though man it's one of those deals where you know what i want to clarify is like i respect the fuck out of them because within two seconds of any of their songs even without vocals or anything like that you can be like oh yeah this is a radiohead song yeah this sounds like radiohead (laughs) i mean it's one of those things where it's so hard especially with so much music available like you were talking about to create a sound that has that impact where within seconds you know it's the band but you know it's, it's the same kind of deal where i'm like you know i can recognize the smell of like rotten fish and be like oh that's recognizable i know that one anywhere right. <laughs> yep. it's also not good yeah. just being recognizable <laughs> doesn't mean great yeah no huh yeah no i get it <laughs> i get it it's, it is a very particular type of music and very moody and yeah depressy i would say uh, I don't go to it as often as I used to. I would say I liked it more in my 20s and teens than mm-hmm. I do now. So I can understand. I get it. I'll, That's I'll, just my I'll final let truth. you have your opinion. <laughs> <laughs> Fine. How Thank magnanimous you, of me. <laughs> <laughs> what about you? You got another one here? Yeah, another this is my, my last one. And I, I, again, mine were all pretty broad other than my Beatles yeah, zooming take. in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There are no fake fans. No such thing. Fake fans. I'm not sure yeah. I know what you mean, fake fans. Uh, people, for instance, hey, who don't love a band enough. Mm, okay, all right. Say you're at a concert and you're wearing a certain shirt and somebody's like, Oh, you don't even know who that band is. Hey, what, what was the third song on her second album that nobody <laughs> ever heard? <laughs> Steve, that's exactly what I sound like. You've been yeah. honing your impression oh. to a razor's <laughs> edge. <laughs> Wait, I wasn't doing an impression of you. <laughs> oh, you were. Holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> but there's no such thing as a fake fan. If you see somebody wearing a Wu-Tang shirt and you're like, you don't like Wu-Tang. Who do you think Method Man gives a fuck? He got money <laughs> from that shirt. You're yeah, not yeah, a fan. Yeah. For making people feel uncomfortable about just randomly buying shirts. If you see somebody walking around in a dead and lovely shirt and they don't know the podcast, I don't give a fuck. They bought a shirt. I <laughs> they don't might just be really care. big Tom Waits fans. I don't Maybe know. Maybe <laughs> they are and they just like the design. I don't care. I know what you mean, though. It, it is kind of funny to think about approaching a stranger and be like, how dare you give my favorite band yes. money without also really, <laughs> really, really obsessing over them like me? Yeah. Like, just fucking thank them. High five them. Whatever. Yeah, awesome. Oh, you only like that one song? It is a good song. Cool. It's great. Thanks for paying for a shirt because yep. your artists aren't making anything off of it yes, whenever you stream their song exactly. five times. So, like, yeah, I don't, I don't, th- I okay, mean, I, I think that, it. I'm starting that to see expands it. Yeah. beyond music, I think. Just leave, leave it. Like, if somebody's like, Oh, I just saw The Shining and I liked it. Don't be like, have you seen the fucking thing? Like, don't <laughs> jump on them. They just right. saw The Shining. It was That's a good. good thing. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> so, yeah. I like no, that. No such like thing that. as fake fan. I what about got you, it, man? man. I think that's a that's a good observation right there. But you know, this is one of those ones that you know. Again, maybe in this crowd, maybe I'm safe. Maybe I'm all right. I might just get away from this scot free. Uh huh. But I know that I have been 
crucified on Uh-oh. the holy cross of Al Gore's internet. <laughs> Anytime I've confessed that I really, really can't fucking stand you two. Really, really, really hate him. Really don't like you, you two just at took all. took the safest route, man. Dude, I'm telling you, you though, man, like fucking music people. A Nobody. lot of people do. Dude, no. I've gotten... People have come at me. In the movie Taken, the only thing that is the most outlandish that, like, I couldn't even begin to swallow. I hated that movie. But the idea that his daughter was traveling around Europe following you too that's not no <laughs> there are no teenagers in the mid 2000s following you two anywhere no <laughs> i didn't know that's part of that movie i've never seen yeah. it. yeah that's ridiculous <laughs> nobody likes you too i like you too and i don't even like you too <laughs> okay if that's not if that's not interesting enough i'll just throw another one out there maybe okay. this will rustle some feathers let's hear it and I'm not saying I like them. I'm not saying I listen to the music because I don't at all. But Nickelback yeah. doesn't deserve all that much hate, y'all. Okay, now that is a hot take. That's a hot that's take. That's a hot take. Yeah, that's, that's I mean, pretty hot. I've heard again, other people say I don't this. listen to it. Yeah, but it's like, dude, listen to the records. Mm-hmm. It is all adequately pr- played. The songs make sense. The yeah. melodies make sense. There's nothing in there that's just like... Oh, man, these guys are tone deaf. They don't know how to write a melody. Yeah, they do. They know how to write a song. It's fine. The production is fantastic. Right. Like, really, honestly, even if you're like a metal guy and you listen to those records, man, the kicks and the guitar tones and stuff are punishing. They're brutal. Yeah, okay. I don't like the music, but I really just think that they're just the biggest, easiest target to hit. Yeah. Like, there's way worse bands out there, dude. Like, there's way, 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 way worse bands out there to listen to. For sure. I just think that there's just such a big old easy target. It's like whenever Martha Stewart got busted for like stuff with the stock market, insider training and shit. Uh-huh. It's like, dude, like there's a million dudes named Joe Franklin that have done way worse, but she was just a bigger target. Well, yeah, they they were going after a high profile name. Yeah, I you're right. They're not because like honestly, I think a lot of the hate probably had to do from oversaturation. Yeah. Because they were played so much for oh, a yeah. while. I think that has to but you're right, it's not it's not poorly done music. No. And it doesn't it's it sounds similar to other bands that don't get that hate. Mm-hmm. So Yeah. Okay. I mean, yeah, alright. I'm convinced. Nickelback, not that bad. You know? It's one of those things. It's like, you know, again, I don't listen to it. I don't like go and, you know, make it an active point to eat at Outback Steakhouse. It's just, <laughs> it's fine. You know, it's the kind of thing where it's just like, <laughs> you can make fun of Outback, but it's like, well, what? Do they burn your food? Do they fucking give you food poisoning? Like, no, it's like, it's fine. It's just fine. Like, I have no reason to go to there. Yeah. But whenever I do end up there, it's like, well, this is competent. I was sure. fed a meal. It's fine. Get a steak and a salad. It's fine. Yeah. And a bloomin' onion. Crikey. Crikey. you ever notice how they do that in their commercials yeah and it's not an actual australian chain so they're putting that on for us like it's a show that americans are doing for americans Hmm. to pretend to be australian for some reason (laughs) i love it i'm a huge fan personally there we go 
Well, you guys be sure to let us know your musical hot takes, your unpopular opinions over on the Facebook group or the Discord group or the Instagram page. There's so many ways to get in touch with us and tell us about the stuff that people aren't going to like about your musical opinions. Facebook.com forward slash dead and lovely at dead lovely pod on Twitter and Instagram. I know of one listener who loves Limp Biscuit, and I'm sure he'll jump in. Oh, uh oh, you don't say, huh? Uh -huh. Hmm. Hmm. I mean... Honestly, again, the guys in the band, all pretty creative, pretty good players. It's true. Fred Durst. I well, can't anyway, stand. just let us know what you think about <laughs> it. <laughs> just let us know what you think over on the uh, on the groups that we got to keep in touch with you guys. And I'll tell you what, too. We're in the middle of the show. I always say this at the very end. I want to just stick it right here in the middle. I want to stick it in, just stick slide this thing on you. Mm -hmm. uh, if you like the show and want to help us out, rate interview on itunes like it yeah. just takes a second or apple Podcasts yeah. or wherever it is you're listening to this it really really is a thing it'll just take you one second to do helps the show out a lot and yep. if you want to thank us with dollar papers you can do that too yeah patreon.com forward slash dead and lovely head over there come a, a, a patreon on a patron on any level you get access to the uh patreon exclusive episodes come a five dollar yeah. patron you get to toss a movie title into the random drawing we have each month. Then we just randomly pick one and do it. And it's a yeah. good old time for us all. Mm-hmm. So if you want to help support the show and get your movie featured, sign up over on the Patreon Down page over. today. Now, Steve, mm -hmm. we are here to talk about P.O.D. I'm not yeah. talking about Payable Upon Death that Christian rap metal band. I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about Prince of Darkness, which right. is a movie from one of our absolute favorite directors. I'm going to start making some wristbands that say WWJCD. That way we can all live our lives <laughs> thinking to ourselves, what would John Carpenter do? Because he always makes the right choices. Would you? Do you want to start a separate pod, talking POD pod? I like that. Where we yeah. just talk P.O.D.? Yeah, it's the P.O.D. cast. It's the P.O.D. cast. There we go. Obviously. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> the P.O.D. cast. Be like one episode. We're like, yeah, one episode. That's about it. The end. There you go. Hey, you remember P.O.D.? Yeah. yeah. Did you ever listen to him? Not no, really. Not yeah, really. me neither. But I do remember him. <laughs> Rate and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars. Because we don't say five anything stars, political. Yeah. It's five stars. <laughs> yeah. Keeps us out of the hot water there. Yeah. <laughs> Although since they were a Christian band, we probably would end up going on some kind of yeah, tear in there and true. destroy, yeah, destroy yeah. our listenership. <laughs> R.I.P. P.O.D. cast. Yeah. Well, hey there, Steve. Hey. What does a guy... Call his best friends. Uh, is, uh, is this a joke? I don't know what. Yeah, it's a joke. It's a funny one. It's a funny one. His testies, besties, of course. What? Steve, Halloween is right around the corner, and you don't want to spook someone with your creepy bush. You want balls so clean, it's scary. Uh, I mean, it's scary good, though. <laughs> scary good, yeah. <laughs> Not like scary like, oh, God, what's going on there? <laughs> <laughs> Manscaped offers precision engineered tools for your family jewels. Oh my lord, we're bringing technology to the sack. Ben, I know you are a you are a manscaper yourself. I I am as well. Uh and Ben, I have had in the past some atrocious occurrences oh, while lord using of mercy. a trimmer on my downstairs area. 
In Ooh. fact, I've had some bloody experiences. Oh, Lord of mercy. Nobody wants no part of that. No, no, you don't. And I know some of you out there are thinking, it's a, it's a crazy old time. I don't even get out ever. Why do I need to manscape? Let me tell you this. When you look good, you feel good. Mm. And when your boys look good, boy, do they feel good. I'll tell you that. You're doggone right. You're doggone right, Steve. Just because you're in quarantine don't mean you don't need to be clean, y'all. But Steve, let me let you in on a little secret here because I know we got a lot of listeners on the show here that are saying, but Ben, but Steve, I ain't got no balls of my own. I don't need this manscaping. Let me tell you what, ladies. This can be for you too because I'm going to tell you what. You can get this thing and take advantage of using that up before somebody creates Womanscaped and starts charging you three times as much for the same stuff. Y'all know how this works. Listen to me, Dead and Lovelies. Manscaped is forever changing the grooming game with their perfect package 3.0. What's in there? You get the lawnmower 3.0 for lawn mowing your nards area. It's skin safe. I used it. No tugs, no nicks. I enjoyed it. You can even create a little less mess by using that thing in the shower or getting one of those magic mat disposable shaving mats they got. Catch all that hair as it drops. And let's not forget about the crop preserver, anti-chafing ball deodorant, do what? And moisturizer. This is amazing. You're putting deodorant on your armpits. Get some deodorant for your balls. What else are you going to get in that perfect package 3.0? Some anti-chafing performance boxer briefs. I don't know how they've done it. It's time to get this perfect package. 3.0. Get clean like Mean Jeans bald head. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code DEAD20. That's D-E-A-D-2-0 at manscaped.com. So this is Dead and Lovely for Manscaped saying wash your hands. And your ass. And trim your junk. Your balls will thank you. And so will the people that love your balls. And Steve, I know this was not the first time you watched this because you just watched this like a few weeks ago, but it wasn't the first time that you watched no, it, right? No, no. I've, I've seen this uh, uh, since growing up times. Uh, mm. This one was one that just the box stood out. We watched it. It was weird and it stuck with us. So we would watch yeah. it all the time. Uh, and it's, I'm glad we're doing this because it is one that I don't hear people talk about enough, but anybody that does talk about it is like, you need to watch Prince of Darkness. Yeah, it's like the little lost John Carpenter gem that the people that know it love it, Mm -hmm. and then the people that don't, well, I don't know, and we'll get into this more as we go, but it's like, I get it if people didn't like this, especially when it came out, Uh, but if you love it, I think that you'll love it a long time, and I think that I will too, because I just watched this for the very first time, like... Two nights ago. It's one of those that, like, I don't know how I hadn't seen before. Mm-hmm. It's right up your alley. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I think at this point, too, like, with us having done the podcast for a while, I was kind of saving it for a rainy day whenever it was, like, we were going to cover it on the show. Because yeah. I know that the first time that I watched In the Mouth of Madness was yeah. for the show, and I absolutely fucking love that movie. Mm-hmm. Of course, I'd already seen The Thing, and this is the last part of the apocalypse trilogy that i had not watched the middle installment right here and uh so i think i'd just been kind of sitting on it waiting for us to do it on the show 
But it was one of those deals where I was so excited to do this because it was an 80s John Carpenter movie that I haven't yeah. watched. And at this point, I'm like starting to run out of those. Like the end <laughs> is in sight as far as the 80s JC Discovery. So I was really excited to watch this. And But I'm also like sad that my list of unwatched Carpenter flicks is getting slimmer. You know what I mean? Because he's the fucking best, dude. He is. And, and really, in this... And they live. He was off the chain. Like these were two movies where he got full creative control. So this is as Carpenter as Carpenter gets. Yeah, and yeah. I love it. Yeah, because I guess coming off of the production of his previous movie, uh, Big Trouble in Little China, which was a box office failure. Yeah, but it was also like a huge budget, studio driven kind of movie that he made. Uh, I got the impression from everything that I read about this that. Carpenter was getting frustrated with dealing with all that shit and wanted to go back to his independent roots. Yeah. Uh, that, you know, of course, are what started his career. So this was an entirely independent movie that he put together. And I think you said it was also funded in correspondence with They Live, right? Yeah. A live pictures offered him $3 million a picture and full creative control. So wow. low budget. But he's getting, you know, to be as Carpenter as he wants. And uh, we get Prince of Darkness and They Live out of that. 1987 and 1988. Wow. Uh, It's an interesting confluence of events that kind of started with WrestleMania 3 a little bit. (laughs) So That's an awesome start to any story. It began with WrestleMania (laughs) 3. So, all right. So, basically, Deborah Hill had a dream of a vague, dark figure exiting a church that filled her with dread, and she told uh, Carpenter about this, and he started trying to write a story to try to capture that. Hmm. But he was also, at the time reading up on theoretical physics and quantum theory like you do and at the time he was tired of how derivative horror movies had become this i is get it because by 87 yeah slashers. you're drowning in slashers yeah. and yeah. stuff like that so just tired of it and he wanted to do something new and alive pictures had offered him three million dollars a picture for these two movies so he starts working on Prince of Darkness. Now, here's where WrestleMania 3 comes into play. So the executive producer, Shep Gordon, was also Alice Cooper's manager. All and right. Alice Cooper and Carpenter both went to WrestleMania 3, where their manager introduced Carpenter to Cooper. And Cooper said that he was interested in being in a horror movie, and John Carpenter said, I'll put you in a horror movie if I can use that uh, bicycle impalement gag that you use on stage. Oh, yeah, because he'd, like, impale a dude with his mic stand or whatever, right? Yeah. So uh, they agreed to that, and then uh, that same night, he met Roddy Piper, who he then cast in They Live. Damn, that's a busy evening right there. Yeah. So John John Carpenter may have been the one person at WrestleMania three who was doing business because everybody else was there to see Andre versus Hogan, right? Like, yeah, they were there on pleasure. Yeah. Carpenter was there on business. Yeah, so th- that those two meetings led to Alice Cooper being in in Prince of Darkness, which he was already. This was uh, I guess March of eighty seven, and they filmed in May, so two months before they got to filming. 
He's like, yeah, sure, Alice Cooper will be in it. <laughs> awesome, dude. Fun time. And it all started at WrestleMania 3. This is one of those things that's <laughs> like, when you read those stories about how Dolly Parton wrote, like, I'll Always Love You and Jolene on the same day, and you're like, wow. damn, that was a momentous yeah. day. <laughs> that is quite like that. a day. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, this, is, this all came together just perfectly for Carpenter to uh, explore some weirdness. And it also did fine at the box office with a $3 million budget, $14 million at the box office, but also profit had a huge life in VHS, which like a lot of Carpenter's flicks. Yeah. A ton of Carpenter's films were really like really benefited from home rental. So he, he, this movie ended up having a cult following and, you know, as I said, you don't hear a lot of people talk about it today, but the people that love it or have seen it have a lot to say about it usually yeah no doubt man because this like you said is one of those ones that i don't know a lot of people that have seen but now i like i want to show it to a lot of people yes yeah (laughs) yeah i just can't imagine though dude like being around in 1987 where like you said you've spent the entire decade up to that point drowning in slashers yep which is is interesting too because you know john carpenter himself is responsible for the boom yeah. of that with the success right. of Halloween and how much yeah. that influenced. So you could say that he kind of got tired of being swallowed up in his own trend that he started mm-hmm. and was like, I think I'm going to try something new this time around and do it on my own. Like This is like when you hear stories about Miles Davis like reinventing jazz after he reinvented jazz again. Yeah. Uh, because he got tired of all the imitators and people that he influenced. And I can imagine Carpenter doing the same thing and yeah. getting tired of all these cookie cutter slashers and, you know, masked killers and blah, blah, blah that he had had up to that point. I can't imagine sitting down in a theater in 1987 <laughs> and watching this movie, which is about fucking Satan and quantum physics. Like, literally, it's about Satan yeah. and quantum physics. I can't imagine watching this because. One of those things that you got to remember, too, is like, I don't know how much the average person knew about quantum mechanics in 1987. Right. And things have progressed so much that, you know, like last year, whenever Avengers Endgame came out, a series that's being watched by like eight-year-olds, right. it's got stuff about the quantum realm in it. Because I feel like that's just stuff that's more... I'm not going to say yeah. widely understood, but at least people know basically what it is. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely it's more pop been, culture. It's definitely been explored a lot in science fiction, which is where most of this would have been familiar for anyone watching. Like if they were a science fiction fan, they would have gotten some of this. Mm-hmm. It definitely is ahead of its time, though, for a oh, general yeah. audience, like a oh, good yeah. bit ahead of its time. I feel like this was about 20 years too yes. early. <laughs> yeah. Because I remember becoming really aware of a lot of stuff about quantum physics and quantum mechanics, which, of course, I only have the you know most meager understanding of, if you even can call it an understanding of all, at all. Yeah. Like, whenever we were in college, because I remember right. uh, you and myself and our friend Jacob Ryan Judd, who has the uh-huh. best serial killer name ever, mm-hmm. talking about books like, uh, like The Dancing Wooly Masters uh-huh. and um, Hyperspace and stuff like yeah. this. Like, all these books that were discussing quantum theory and... I think that particularly the dancing Wu Lee Masters has kind of some shared ground with this movie in a lot of ways because, you know, in this movie we have these 
you know, ancient texts of Christendom kind of describing these complex algorithms and stuff like this that might be relevant to quantum mechanics. Yeah. But in The Dancing Wooly Masters, that's a book that kind of likens a lot of the um, super ancient, you know, like, like Buddhist philosophies and stuff like this and how those can coincide and relate to quantum physics in a really relevant way. Mm-hmm. I kind of saw a lot of common ground between that book and this movie in a lot of ways. But I remember that was like a thing that we were checking out when we were in college. Uh, and right. I always think it's really fascinating and stuff. I think you've kind of stayed on top of some of that as well, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I am still interested. And I I think it's, it is something that has become more popular to talk about a lot of concepts. But like also there are a lot of misconceptions wrapped up in just, you know, sci-fi. We've seen sci-fi and so a lot of it seeps into our brain and they try to mix in actual science of course so a lot of pop understanding of of a lot of the scientific stuff is is a little off and this movie isn't trying to be ultra scientific carpenter said for sure some of this is just gobbledygook that like yeah he he didn't fully understand everything uh but it, it it's as you said like it has become a pretty common topic especially on like college campuses and stuff but that's kind of because of Stephen Hawking's brief history of time, right. which was like written as this accessible book. But that book came out the year after this movie. That's what I was going to ask is when did that even come out? Yeah. That's kind of crazy that, that fucking Carpenter was like, this is relevant enough right now in 1987. Right. I'll do a movie on it. Like, man, the ball's on Carpenter. Yeah. So like he, yeah, the, the book that really made it relevant to your average individual that was on, you know, bestselling lists and, and was written specifically for non-scientists, it came out the year after this. So the stuff Carpenter was reading was probably uh, less accessible than is Stephen Hawking's A Brief History of Time, which is still a pretty tough book. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I think uh, it's, it's great when you know because we've talked we talked about this within the mouth of madness carpenter really was trying to do something different like yeah. he was trying to make the genre something other than it it really got stuck into being carpenter himself was 20 years ahead of time if he were making his movie like if halloween uh came out in 1998 and his movies had been coming out through the 2000s it would have fit like because that was this like uh you know opening up this golden age of horror that we kind of have now like he fits into that but he's so far ahead of it like he's he's like the herald of the movies that were to come but the, <laughs> yeah. the movie at the time people were, were not going to the theater to see as much but were watching it at home and the people that were watching it at home were growing up to make these films. Like he was so influential through that video rental market. Yeah, no doubt, man. It's just so incredibly progressive and as you said, ahead of its time to not only just feature, you know, quantum physics stuff in a movie in eighty seven, but also a horror movie, like an even yeah. more limited scope of like fans that are gonna already be watching this movie to begin with. Mm-hmm. And now let's also toss quantum physics in. And then let's also toss religion into it yeah. and see how the two things can work yes. with each other and coincide and well, this I think is that genius this is on those, carpenters. Yeah, uh, yeah. Absolutely so, man. Cause the thing about this is too is that I found 
surprising uh, because it's really, really easy to, I think, make a movie with science and religion where one completely squashes the other or right. disproves elements of the other. This movie, I think, is really progressive in that it doesn't go super anti-religious or anti-science. Like, there's so many scenes in the movie where we have Victor Wong, the scientist, and Donald Pleasance, the priest, having these one-on-one conversations with each other, and neither of them is, like, trying to disprove the other one. They're not shitting on Mm. each other or trying to say one is ridiculous and the other isn't. I actually think it's a very respectful ground that is like weirdly unoffensive. <laughs> I think that the reasoning for that is part of the horror. Carpenter is showing us a Carpenter is an atheist. Carpenter is showing us a world in which religion is right. Mm, okay. And that's part of the horror. Is that okay, now it's funny you mentioned that. Yeah. You now the scientists have to take this gobbledygook that is admittedly coming from the priest admittedly lies. Like he's saying, these are lies we made up to hide the truth. So part of the horror is if the church is right, they've spent centuries hiding their truths with lies. So now how do Mm, we suddenly use them in science when we have this moment where we need them? So Hmm. I I don't think it is pro or like it it is being like positive about the church in any way. I think it's uh, it's just saying if we were in a world where these things were true, what would that look like and how would science mesh with it? Mm -hmm. And it's scary. It gets scary real quick when you see it that way. It does. Yeah. And that's something that like really struck me about the movie is that I found that kind of melding of of science and religion in this to make religion scarier yeah. in a lot of ways <laughs> yes. because the thing is you know as just a, a total a total heathen just like yourself like yeah i can always sit here and be like oh whatever you're invisible magic god that does stuff you can't see him you can't prove him and i can just you know dash it all away all day really easily right but then when you're like really breaking it down in scientific terms and you're like well yeah you can't see him because he's in the quantum realm and he's inhabiting everything he's in the space between spaces as you'd say in indiana jones but that's when shit start getting it starts getting scarier to me where it's like oh shit (laughs) like science is actually proving this is real (laughs) It, it also opens on you know with uh when we get to the classroom like lesson what we're hearing from Victor Wong, Professor Birak, is in quantum physics, traditional logic breaks down. So yeah. when we deal with quantum physics, we're essentially dealing in faith in the math and theory. Yeah. So it, it is juxtaposing two different areas of faith. Uh, but what one, again, is built on... Uh, a consistent uh, building on intellectual and philosophical advancements and the other is built on trying to hide a truth yeah there you go (laughs) but I just think the way that it pairs those two things makes it really really fucking scary to me Yeah, (laughs) in a lot of ways it does and and the way that um, the I mean, the thing in the capsule is Satan. I have seen some people say that it's the son of Satan, but they say very clearly 
that the evil force that is in the mirror universe is the father of Satan, not Satan. Right. Satan is in the capsule. Well, but I mean, that's also like counter to Jesus too, where it's like yes. Jesus is God. He's also the son of God. He's also but the son he is of, God yeah. also. Right. Yeah. So I think they, it's, 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 purpose, it's purposefully contradictory. Yeah, it's a purpose and it's mirroring. You have the, the God yeah. and the anti-God and the Savior and the anti-Savior or Christ, anti-Christ. Um, so we have in this seven million year old the thing this this liquid that is a prebiotic fluid they say that is forming into something Mm -hmm. on its own so this is a self-creation we so much like god would presumably have to have self-created it then it then exhibits signs very much like jesus it is able to heal and resurrect the dead it impregnates a woman and then takes her immaculately yeah yeah it's like an immaculate conception i guess so there's all this like mirroring of jesus and god with with the satan but then the melding of science tells us that this satan thing is using um is using subatomic particles to do all this. So it's actually scientific. It's not spiritual at all. Right. Which then yeah. makes it scarier because of the science they then keep revealing, where they keep talking more about science. It's like, oh, well, he can do that? Like, if he can do that, that's more than I ever thought Satan would be able to do. I thought wow. Satan is a tempter. Satan is a deceiver. Hmm. Didn't realize Satan can control subatomic particles. Like that's <laughs> now fucking this is wild. getting ugly real yeah. fucking fast. Yeah, wow, now it's man. scary. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's a uh, that's the cool thing about this is like you said. There's there is such a gray line I think between which is the truth here. Is it the science or is it the the religion? Mm-hmm. Because you can kind of explain both either way. Or it's like, well, it's invisible and you can't see it. And it's in a realm that's beyond human comprehension. It's like, well, okay, are you talking about God stuff? Or are you talking about quantum science stuff? Yeah, because exactly. it sounds like the same thing. It does. And that's exactly what uh, we're supposed to get to, I think, in this movie. Is that um, in this world, at least that religion and science would be the same thing like that would be the way they should be at least uh in order to deal with this seven million year old threat like this Mm -hmm. threat they knew was there like the the priest says and that's that's the only name donald pleasant's character has is priest the priest says you know that they should have been studying it that they should have been like they shouldn't have left it to science to figure it out without having access to it like yeah. he he's he's definitely expressing regret on behalf of the church the church should have been doing these things in this case in this world where science and religion are the same yeah. so but again this is uh, not carpenter trying to reflect the the real world entirely so much as trying to just say like what would that be and by by playing that out it does make it way scary it makes both scarier because it makes science seem like you know it's been ignoring something that that was right there that could have made sense and religion keeping this key from science that would have perhaps saved the world that's a real great tension throughout. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely so, man. And that's the thing that really surprised me about this, too, is that I think that 
especially for a 1987 audience, there's so little handholding, right? Breaking down what some of the stuff they're yeah. talking about really means. Like, yeah. I, I feel like if this movie was made even now, there would be, you know, inside of that church, some guy that was, you know, a janitor that yeah. was there mm-hmm. cleaning the place, and he'd be dropping in on these conversations. He'd be like, yeah. well, "What do you mean, quarks? What do you mean yeah. quantum superposition?" And they'd be like, "What's a well, What we mean now. is blah blah blah." Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Like. They're all scientists, so none of them need to explain yeah. anything to each other. So it's very quickly paced. And there's, I mean, several points in here where I was like, hang on, rewind that. Like, what were they talking about? Time traveling particles and stuff? Uh, I think that if I would watch this in a theater without the ability to rewind, I would have way more questions yeah, <laughs> than I do. For and sure. I still have a lot of questions. Yeah. <laughs> And now maybe that drove some of the rental too. People saw it in the theater True. and were like, "What was that?" Like, I really liked it, but I don't know what it was about. Yeah, uh, wait, did they just say Jesus was an alien? Yeah, Jesus <laughs> was do. an extraterrestrial who came to warn us about that capsule that uh, the Father of Satan had put into Earth. Yeah, that was that's just. I mean. I love how wild it gets, but it, it really is trying to marry science and religion, and that's uh, that w- is what happens when you try to make those two uh, get along. Is that some wild shit has to be true? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, some of those parts really blew my mind. Like, there's kind of that one scene where they're just all you know in the lab, kind of kind of talking about all the shit that's going on. And I feel like I should probably watch that about 10 times before I can really say that I know everything that went down in those conversations, because it goes by fast. Yeah, there are uh, maybe like four or five big exposition scenes that, as you said, are between scientists, so they're not holding our hands at any point. Uh, the, The ones that I guess are most accessible but still very deep are the conversations between Birak and the priest that they're having yeah, in really that cool. office. Great conversations, but also just very deep. They're not holding your hand throughout these conversations. I I really enjoy that. This, it, it has an interesting element to it that I, at first when I was looking, because I watched this a few times before this, because I, I really wanted everything to make sense. At first, I was thinking that Carpenter was having trouble writing uh, men talking to women in this. <laughs> but then They're I just realized, nerds, Steve. They're nerds. I, then I realized it was genius. <laughs> he was writing nerd dudes who were bad at talking to women. Uh, like he, <laughs> he really did a great job with this script. I feel in not revealing too much uh, in a way that wouldn't fit the character of the people. Uh, in making the people fit the way we, uh, you know, not all scientists are nerds, but certainly they are separated from a lot of people in grad school. In any grad school program, you're separated from a lot of people that don't know what you talk about. So when you talk, you just sound like nerds. Doesn't matter what the subject is. Uh, so you got these grad <laughs> school kids talking all their nerdy stuff and all the men are being... They kids? Are well, that's kids, the thing. Steve? They're all in their like thirties. They they do seem to be, <laughs> but I mean, uh, from my grad school experience, that's I think that's pretty normal uh, to have variants. Not a lot of people go directly from their bachelor's program into grad school. Uh, it it is right. a return back to school thing, but they are t- they do seem too old. Some of them. Uh, so 
<laughs> you got the, the, their interactions that I think Carpenter kind of nailed, like how how sort of they they all know what they're talking about, but they work in different fields, so some of them will need to get explanations, which actually help the audience, but again, aren't too overly dumbed down. Right, exactly. Yeah. It's just really, again, good writing, a good way of getting exposition out without holding hands, a good way of trusting your audience. Yeah, definitely. And that cast of characters is pretty big. There's a yeah. lot of people there are up in this little church uh-huh. over here trying to figure out what the hay is going on. Yeah. Uh, I think there are too many people up I in d- this movie. I don't think so, but I think you're right for a first viewing that it is too much it's far too much but i think that because because it works the way it works it never even though you don't know each of the the characters it never lulls it never gets boring because there's so many people to kill off that's true (laughs) yeah there's a lot of moving parts going on in a lot of parts of this movie so then your problem is how do you make each of them like recognizable and i think that is where he fails a little bit is that they're they're not all like distinct maybe yeah that is one area where i feel like this movie could have used a little bit of work like i feel Mm -hmm. like we could have used a more charismatic lead than was it named brian brian yeah Uh mustachio man like i can't really say there's a lot to that character other than like i guess he's working on maybe card tricks and he has a mustache he does and he's bad at talking to women though for some reason it works out for him yeah (laughs) some reason he still ends up getting laid don't know how And past that, I think the only like really recognizable, memorable character is is kind of memorable for all the the wrong reasons. Because Walter, I don't know what movie Walter thinks he's in. I think he <laughs> thinks that he's like in Big Trouble Little China or something. Because well, he was in Big Trouble Little China. <laughs> exactly. I think yeah. he's stuck there. Is what I'm saying. It's just like he's constantly wisecracking and saying all these jokes that super weird times that don't really seem to make much sense i mean carpenter has a sense of humor but god a lot of walter stuff was just like dude it's not supposed to be funny it's not supposed to be funny that's it (laughs) okay all right right. he's not supposed to be funny or charming there there's a lot going on with walter uh yeah i think this movie is uh, uh fails on a first watch but i think the more you you watch it the more you get that the characters are they they are fleshed out a little bit and and done just well enough that you don't get too invested in any one person ever it's just kind of the situation that you're paying attention to uh but again you're right they they are not distinct enough walter is probably the most distinct but specifically with walter there's a joke about him potentially being gay, which is a very 80s joke. <laughs> You're yeah. gay. Get it? Uh, oh, you like God. men and may gay. find a fulfilling yeah. relationship with a man. Ha-ha. <laughs> <laughs> um, Joke's on you. <laughs> yeah. But then what What really was interesting to me is that when he's talking to Kelly and he's, uh, you know, being a misogynist piece of shit who's like, no, your, uh, your bruise is probably nerves. What? Uh, what? That doesn't happen. 
oh, my nerves, I've got bruises now. But he says about himself that his his doctor said that he was breaking out because of homosexual panic. Yeah. Now, I looked up homosexual panic because I was like, that is not... I don't think that is a diagnosis, is it? Uh, was hmm. it was a diagnosis back in the day? It was in the original DSM, and let me um, let me just tell you about homosexual panic real quick, Ben. How does this compare to satanic panic? Oh, it's about as stupid. Pretty <laughs> pretty equally stupid, I would say. Okay, yeah, All right, got it. So, um, homosexual panic is panic due to the pressure of uncontrollable, perverse sexual cravings, Ben. Let me tell you about this. One of the primary symptoms of homosexual panic was Breaking lack. out boners. <laughs> yep, there it is. <laughs> no, it's a primary symptom of homosexual panic, lack of aggression towards homosexual individuals. What? <laughs> You you aren't what? repulsed by gay people, so you must be gay yourself, and that you're suppressing it. So you, the the cure for that what the cure for not wanting to bash gay men was to uh, transfer your desires to women. What the fuck? It's it's a strange quirk to add to the character. And an odd bit that's going on throughout. I did not understand exactly what it was getting at, but it was eye-opening to find out that that used to be a diagnosis, not yeah. wanting to beat up gay men. I, Means what? you gay. Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck? Must be gay. What? Wow. I, that's funny you mentioned that, because like, I picked up on a little bit of that stuff whenever I was watching it, and I was like... I couldn't really figure out why that was there or what that would mean, so I'm glad you put a little bit of thought into yeah. it. Yeah. I uh, there's so much sex going on throughout. Like, Ooh. you know, I mean, like the what's his name? Brian and Catherine have sex after he uh tells her he's a proud misogynist and she's obviously not happy about that. And then he also has some sort of like weird like incel line where he's like pretty girls never want to be in the theoretical department <laughs> and this somehow works for her it I somehow works yeah yeah like what is ugh. anyway but th like the thing is the writing is there though the writing is still there because when he does his stupid like i'm a uh, misogynist and proud of it she immediately is like oh like what the fuck like she just like shuts down and he's like why are you shut down when you start talking about people? It's like, no, motherfucker, I shut down when someone tries to minimize my work down to be pretty girl. Like, what the fuck? And also, <laughs> for some reason, knowing how to do math is not as manly as knowing theory. Like, what the fuck are you talking about? She works in applied physics, not applied, like, cash register. <laughs> I work in applied pretty. Yeah, I I just but the thing is the writing is there. Like the thing that she she's I don't know how that would end in sex ever is my question. Mm. I just don't know how. That's where I'm like, okay, that doesn't make sense to me. How does the point this A to end point B is yeah. kind of like, uh, okay there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But anyway, there's there's them and everybody's 
talking about sex there's sexy moments throughout i'll talk about it, it's all over the place and the thing about it is too is we got this big old cast of a lot of characters who like you said are, are kind of interchangeable i wish that yeah there would have been some way to work it into their writing that we got to see you know at least a couple of the characters use their strong suit to help their situation because whenever they introduce them all to each other it's like oh this person works in this this person oh. works in this and I wish there would have been a way for them to use their their skills in a way that was constructive for the story. Because otherwise, to me, they just they just all kind of blend together. I mean, they do though, like because like one translates the book. There's another okay, one. Okay, yeah, where, that's yeah. true. Like, uh, yeah, I I don't think they all do. Which you're right again. Like, it, it's not like each individual is not clear enough because. Only a few seem to have specific jobs, whereas, like, say, Calder, uh, Lomax, uh, Mullins. I'm not sure what these people do. They're yeah, like, it's dude. mostly all the white guys. It's like, what do they do here? Because, like, <laughs> Susan is like studying the thing, taking like x rays. Uh, Kelly is continually involved in checking the thing. Uh, Lisa is doing the translation. Uh, Catherine's doing all the, the like math work and stuff. Is yeah. this a message though? Like the women are doing all the work and the guys are doing all the talking. It might be because dude, there's a couple of the dude characters where I'm like, I literally don't know what you're doing here or yeah. what your name is. Like towards mm -hmm. the very end of the movie, it's just kind of our core group of people. And one of them is that Low like, Richard Marks looking guy. Yeah. Like the, mm -hmm. And I was like, wait, when did he show up? Right, did he he'd been there the whole yet? time. He just had no personality. Yeah, like, I can't remember any of his lines or what his specialty is. Like, right. I was like, how is this guy not dead yet? <laughs> and then dead. So it worked yeah. out. <laughs> it worked out for me. And that's the thing I was going to ask you about, too, which he thought about this, because, you know, as these characters get off, they kind of get, I guess you'd say, possessed by this son of satan spirit they kind of get the uh, the old goo injection and it turns yeah, them they get baptized turned. basically mm -hmm. okay yeah which i hadn't thought about that until you pointed that out another kind of like christendom reversal yeah. which i think they're is getting cool. the opposite of the holy spirit yeah yeah the unholy spirit yeah and it, it it takes them over completely too uh calder's the only one who seems to be able to fight it for a bit uh he kills himself and still loses because it resurrects him like yeah it, I think that's one of the great things where you you were saying they should be you know using their their skills a bit more. I like that it kind of shows that they're completely powerless against it because that makes it more fearsome. Like if you know the only way they really had power against it was to just eliminate the portal it was using. Other than that, they didn't stop it. They just slowed it down. Like I, I mm -hmm. like that. I like that inevitability of it. Like the the scariness is is upped for me because no matter like what they're good at or what they're able to do, they can't stop it. They have no chance against it. Oh yeah, yeah. Because if you're talking about tangling with something interdimensional like yeah. in these quantum realms, you ain't got no chance. Yeah, no chance in hell. <laughs> but one thing that I did think was kind of strange is the fact that it seems to kind of inhabit everybody differently where the, the women like Lisa and Catherine are almost these like cyborg like creatures after they get, you know, uh, inhabited by the host where they're expressionless and just seem cold and robotic. 
And then you've got, is, is it Calder that's like singing Amazing Grace? And then he starts like doing the laughing thing and all that jazz. Like, meanwhile, he just turns hysterical for some reason. And then the other guy is like, I guess I'm full of bugs now. I'm, I'm the Boogie Oogie man. <laughs> What's with the differences in the way that it takes people over? I couldn't find any rhyme or reason to it. Well, the he doesn't take over the other guy. It's just bugs inhabiting his, his hollowed out husk because they killed him. Like Ooh. the people that get out of the building get killed. They don't get inhabited. They just die. Yeah. Uh, they ju- the bugs just filled up his skin very MIB style. Like <laughs> 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 it was. It is. It's uh, yeah. That's a strange moment. But yeah, the I think okay. So Calder, here's the reasoning I I have with him. Calder is wearing a crucifix when we first meet him. And he's actually wearing it until uh, 52 minutes into the film when they've all learned the stuff they've learned about the church and whatnot, and he takes it off. After he takes it off, he gets possessed. While it's possessing him, he is fighting it by singing hymns, and then he tries to kill himself thinking he's beaten it. And then it brings him back to life, and the laughter is him going mad inside not being able to control himself oh my lord i think that his is different because of his religiosity i think that's it i think everybody else is essentially uh atheist no one is is shown as having any other religious uh affectation so i think that's what's going on with him and that's why he's different uh the kelly is the one who gets fully possessed by satan she just like has no there's no like possessed with her we only see her get filled with the fluid in the bed and then turn into that and then she's just satan uh susan and lisa act pretty much the same just like drones Uh uh-huh yeah and then everybody else acts kind of just like that calder i think is kind of the only one that that really seems to be completely different i think it really does just come down to there's some religious affiliation in the background that he's like held on to and like he's able to fight somewhat but he even gets overtaken with that but again this is uh, why i love this storytelling none of that is clear no not not at all all. that's intentional what is this like you just have to like dig into it to find what is going on here and then what about like the the group of the the street schizos and stuff right. like that? Like they become this again uh-huh. kind of drones. They're they're, yeah. they're nonverbal yeah. and they're intimidating and stuff. Well, How the does one that does take talk at that one point. The one uh, when the priest first arrives at the the uh, thing, and you remember the modulated voice. The lady had like the cup full of bugs, and she's like good to see your father or whatever yeah. <laughs> like, like she's the only one who speaks but it's obviously a demon voice so i okay so here's what i think this is john carpenter taking it to the extreme uh, as he he's doing with this he's saying okay if christianity's right then people with schizophrenia are, are uh they are possessed by demons they just are that's just Ooh. what christianity told us so that is that is the science We've been searching for what's going on with schizophrenia. Turns out it's demons. So he, wow. he's just going for it. He's saying, okay, it's demons. Um, he's also making a statement, though, not surprising, a fuck Reagan statement from John Carpenter. Uh, <laughs> Shocking. 
Yeah. So Reagan Reagan had deinstitutionalized America. Like uh, Jimmy Carter signed a bill in 1980 to uh, basically uh, create more funding for institutions and to uh, make a priority of mental health in America. And then as soon as Reagan got in, he was like, nah, fuck that. Crazy. It's weird. It's almost like <laughs> Republican presidents just do that. They get in and they're like, no, fuck everything that was done before us. Uh, let's just destroy everything. Um, That'll never happen. That's, I don't know. It'll man. never happen again. Right. Just that never one time. Again. Just the one time. So uh, Ronald Reagan got rid of all this. Uh, this had already actually happened in California as well in the late 60s. They had already seen the negative effects of it. Uh, and Carpenter was making a statement here basically about this was near Skid Row where they filmed about how Skid Row was full of these people who need to be taken care of because they have actual mental problems, mental issues that need to be dealt with with science. But let's just go ahead and take your little religious path. If they are what you say they are, then they're vehicles of the devil and you've put them out on the streets. Mm. So what's the excuse there? <laughs> kind of holding a mirror up to him is what you're saying. Yeah, just like, okay, so if they're what you say they are, your religious right craziness, if they are what you say they are, you've put them into the street. Now they're Satan's army. How about that? <laughs> are you happy now? Yeah, like it's it's another jab of carpenters just at uh, conservatives in general, which I always appreciate. I get it, man. Yeah, and it's definitely not his uh, not his first time doing that either. Yeah. No, <laughs> go watch They Live if you haven't. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I do get if somebody says like, well, that I mean, you know, this is a negative portrayal of of uh, you know mental illness and things like that. Yes, I think it's an intentional negative portrayal meant to drag the church and meant to drag the religious right. But it it is a negative portrayal. It's just I think the message is there and it's meant to be positive and I think you know we're out of that context now. We don't think about that. And the group uh, the leader of that group is of course old Alice Cooper, which Uh-huh. Whenever I saw his name appear in the credits, and then whenever I saw his character arrive as just this super pale, yeah. you know, zombie-like um, street guy that's kind of the head of all the uh, the street schizos in this, dude, I'll tell you, man, I was already enjoying the movie, but it made me nervous to see him pop up on screen. I was yeah. really, really worried he was fan. going to... Because yeah. I'm not a fan, and I was thinking it was going to get cheesy real fast. Right. So, like, he fucking... He he kills somebody and he says ghouls out for summer, you know. (laughs) Or maybe somebody's gonna like kill him and they're gonna go no more, Mister Nice Guy. You know where it's like (laughs) this is gonna get fucking corny really fast. But dude, like I actually thought that he did a great job. Like he's always super menacing and cold and distant and kind of inhuman. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I actually think he does a really good job in this. And, yeah, and I think you know, so just too. due to his appearance, he's got just such a gaunt, kind of sallow appearance uh, during you know this age of Alice Cooper. I think he plays the part really well. Yeah. Although I did find the movie getting really fascinatingly meta there for a little while whenever we had that one scientist that I just dubbed in my notes, not Justin Long, <laughs> that goes out in that alley and he gets impaled by yeah. Alice Cooper wheeling the bicycle. See, what a lot of people don't know 
is that there was actually a deleted narrative overlay. We were mm. hearing the voice of not Justin Long during that scene. They deleted this after a bad screening. So okay. as he was walking down that alley, I don't know if you noticed, but he was listening to Alice Cooper. I did know right? that, yeah. Mm-hmm. So he's listening to Alice Cooper on his headphones. In the original narration, he goes down that alley and he sees you know the leader of the street schizos and he's like, oh my God, I think that's Alice Cooper. <laughs> I'm his biggest fan. I don't even know. Oh, my God. He's walking closer to me. I don't even know what I can say to him. He's he's picking up the bicycle. What's going to happen to me? And he turns around to look, and he's like, oh, my God. There's even a bunch of people that are watching this go down. This They're is going to be get killed by my idol, Alice Cooper. This is going to be so fucking metal. And he's like, maybe if I walk towards him, maybe he'll stab me. And then he does stab him, and he's like, fucking sick, dude. Yeah, I'm dead. Now stay up. Stay up. Don't fall over. That was something (laughs) I noticed. I was like, I mean, if you were dying, you'd just fall over. You wouldn't be like, oh, no, I got to stay up. But he was trying to impress Alice (laughs) Cooper. That makes sense. But, you know, in a world where Alice Cooper exists and this guy's listening to him, that bum had to be told all the time, man, you look like Alice Cooper. (laughs) <laughs> I bet he did get told that all the time, and I bet he signed some autographs. <laughs> oh yeah, that's me, Alvin Cropper or whatever. <laughs> but yeah, I liked him in here, man, and I think that he's part of a lot of scenes in this movie that are just yeah. You know, the only word I can think to to use here are, are chilling. There's a lot of scenes in this movie that I think are absolutely gonna be burned into my memory and i remember you know carpenter saying you wanted to create a movie with a sense of dread and stuff and there is several scenes in this flick that really do creep me out like one in particular is man all this stuff with their like dream video that dream that everybody gets that's like a a burnt out vhs or something Uh uh-huh yeah man alive it's really effective that uh the way that they slowly sort of reveal it but also the way the detachment you feel from it like he he shot the the bit that you see with a handheld like uh video camera and then shot that like shot the video on tv with a regular camera and then shows it that way so you're getting like two layers removed from it which adds to that sort of surreal, dreamy quality, but also makes it look the way it looks. Yeah, dude. And something that I love about it, too, is it just kind of gives it that extra weird dream feel or that thing where you feel like you're remembering a memory yeah. or something. Yeah. I, I like that, like, every time it shows the dream, it's a little different. Yeah, like just it's a just little subtle bit. difference. Uh-huh. It's, like, just enough to where it's, like, they filmed probably like four or five passes of the same thing where it's like, okay, camera's going to pan across the front of the church. You come out of that little alley and act spooky. And they're just subtly different. It's just different enough to make you go, did I remember that differently? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I think the, the representation that uh, you're getting, if, if the ending that when he, uh, what's his name? Uh, Brian, when Brian, Brian has that, is having that dream if it's an actual dream where he's just having a nightmare then it doesn't mean anything but if it is him getting a message from the future i think the reason why it sort of changes each time is because they are changing the future right that's what i got out of it too just tiny tiny little changes that change what the video slightly looks like 
Mm-hmm. That's what I got out of it for sure. It's like every little thing they were doing was affecting the future. Yeah, because yeah. also, P.S., this movie has time travel elements yep. in it too. Yeah, there's apparently a group in the year 1999 <laughs> that is sending back a message about the Prince of Darkness escaping from that church. So even like even from what we know from the movie, the movie is set in 1987, the events in the church, apparently even if somebody had pulled satan out and he inhabited a body he still would have hung out there for 12 years i guess i don't know amassing an <laughs> army i don't know probably doing some push-ups and crunches probably jacked, push-ups I guess. yeah that's probably what it was <laughs> mm-hmm. maybe burpees he's athletic <laughs> but i really like just all of the all of the stuff that's going on in the background of the story that creates this whole vision of a of a huge world and timeline that is going on without ever really laying down exactly what that is yeah it, there's never like a, a a scene you know from the future like in terminator where we see an right. older john connor communicating to the exactly. past on his space age machinery it's just like oh yeah this probably came from yeah people using this faster than speed of light particle in the future trying to warn us about what's going right. on it's just like yeah not really gone into that much but i think that's what makes it cool i think so too and i I really i i enjoyed that um immensely while like trying to break it down and looking at the ways that it's it's different each time trying to understand like what it is they've done in between that time that changed it just slightly like what what event was enough and it made me think of like how like the future is always in flux like yeah. they, they he talks about it a bit in his like opening speech how like you know the time isn't necessarily traveling in one direction when we're talking about in the quantum realm it, the the constant reminder that the things that they do are these slight changes are always changing the future but never changing it drastically but always making it different that the future is always fluctuating always different it keeps you in that feeling of uncertainty which i think that the whole story is kind of based off of which Hmm. is the schrodinger's cat okay yeah some dialogue earlier on in the movie yeah yeah she presents this you know pretty simple put a cat into a box with some poison that uh, uh, eventually over time will open up and potentially kill the cat you don't know if the cat is alive or dead uh the potentiality of the cat being alive or dead can only be solved by actually opening the box and observing so until you in open the meantime the box, it's living in both states yeah yeah uh, until that point until it's been observed it is it is either it is both alive and dead because you can't yeah. you can't confirm uh th- this is how things work on a quantum level uh so until you've observed these things, they don't actually become what you observe until that exact moment of observation. And so this this movie is based off, I think, or my theory about this movie is that essentially by going to observe this Satan liquid, they are collapsing it into Satan. Like it is, it is in a superposition state until they show up to observe it if they Mm. never showed up to observe it it never would have been able to become this 
Uh, and maybe too, it's just the the belief of the Brotherhood of Sleep that's been watching it that it is an evil force that that made yeah. it so. Yeah, exactly. Hmm. So their observations, their projections make it what it is. So the more they project onto it, the more power it gets. Yeah, well, they even say in there, like, the belief is making it stronger and shit. They even cover that in the yeah. movie. Yeah, so that's that's, cool. that's what I think is going on with it, is that it is a big Schrodinger's cat sort of thing, and that's why it ends on that uncertainty where he has the dream, and we're not sure if it's a dream or if they're now beaming that to him because he now needs to break whatever is nearby that's going to get her out the devil inside of uh what's her name Catherine. yeah we're not sure though if he's just having a dream he could just be having a nightmare and you know he goes over to touch the mirror to sort of test it and it cuts right before he touches the mirror so we don't get to know for sure if they've actually stopped it or you know like have they stopped it and he's having a nightmare because of the trauma or is he now getting the message and he needs to stop it again? Yeah. Well, here's the thing that's funny about that is there is apparently a TV edit of this movie that is pretty drastically different. Did you hear oh, about really? this stuff? I didn't read yeah. about this. Okay. Apparently the TV edit is way, way different. Okay. Um, so for one... They have this whole separate storyline about how the tome that they use that has like all the the writings and stuff in it Uh was recovered from some like rich millionaire's library that died. Okay. And all the stuff about that like final, you know, priest with the the box with the key on his chest that Uh belonged to the Brotherhood of Sleep. Everything about him and the Brotherhood of Sleep is eliminated from the movie. (laughs) Like entirely. What? People yeah. just so couldn't handle people, the religious angle or what? Like I guess. Huh. So it's just all these people that are like researching this book that an old rich person had. <laughs> and apparently it keeps showing throughout the entire movie, it keeps showing like Brian asleep in his dorm and it's like, Oh, he's just dreaming. Just in case you forgot, he is oh, dreaming. Oh jeez. And it end, like ends with him waking up. That's so ridiculous. It's ridiculous, dude. So uh, apparently, according to the TV edit, it's blatantly a dream, but I have no clue why they did it that way. Oh, uh, that sounds like to not piss off the Catholic Church. I mean, because the stuff they're yeah. cutting out is the Catholic Church has been perpetuating a lie to hide the more fearsome truth. I guess that would be it. Yeah. <laughs> Myth I mean, busted. That, yeah, that has to, uh, I would assume that would be it, just to appease the Catholic Church, because... That's a whole different movie. And that's a bad movie as well. Yeah. Yeah, that's it's just like, like a sci-fi movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of parts in this that really stuck out to me, and that's nothing uncommon with John Carpenter's stuff. I mean, there's so many parts in The Thing and Mouth of Madness and Halloween and lots of our other favorites of his that really you know, burned a hole in my brain. And mm-hmm. I think in this movie, some of those scenes would also include like Man, whenever um, what's her name in there gets fully taken over by the the Satan spirit, uh-huh. and her skin is just like falling uh-huh. off and all that jazz, like and yeah. even the lead up to it too, where it's like she's laying there and you're like, 
holy cow, like immaculate conception, she's impregnated. And then I kind of kept waiting for there to be some kind of like really lame, cheesy, like her giving birth to the Antichrist scene. And it's like, no, all the fluid just reabsorbs into her. That's yeah, just it fucking, just takes over her body. Yeah. Yeah. Evil energy that was uh-huh. residing in her that then takes over her form and she starts losing more and more skin. And God, dude, those parts where she looks into like the mirror is like the little compact and she's just like, father. Uh-huh. <laughs> so weird, dude. Yeah. It is. It's so weird and so great. I love the way they did the mirror bit with like. Me too. So uh, they to do that, they got all the mercury out of a forklift that they had. Forklifts are chock full of mercury. Apparently, they have mercury in them. They got all the mercury out. They put it back in when they were done. Don't worry. Um, Oh, that's good. I yeah, gotta go to the to look for the mercury re- release valve and pilfer some, I guess. <laughs> so they got all the mercury out and they used like, you know, a, a prosthetic hand or whatever. But the other side shot is just a a, a pool with just a, everything but a square blocked out. Like Dude, super it's so cool. Yeah, super uh simple effect that looks so cool. Yeah, it does. I think it's awesome, man. Especially like later on in the movie when when Catherine like falls in and you see her kind of like just sort of disappearing off screen into the yeah. unknown void of uh-huh. whatever the fuck is going on. Yeah, man, that's so cool. Really, yeah, really, really I, creepy and well done. I just I love this movie. I'm glad we fi- finally got you uh, to watch it because it it it's got so much to it. There's one thing I noticed this time that I've never noticed before, and I'm not sure if this is right or not. But as I was saying earlier, there's it seems like there's a lot of sex involved in this. Like they they definitely uh, we have Brian and Christina. They have their sex before they even go to the church. When we get to the church, uh, Walter's talking about a hot date he's got. The there's one guy down in the basement. Uh, Susan comes in and he's basically rubbing his dick on her, and then like the other guy's like, uh, "Is she married?" He's like, "Super married." It's like, wait, what? Okay, just rubbing <laughs> your dick on a married lady. I guess that's normal. Uh, and then like it, the entire time, there's just like so many like vague mentions of sex, so many flirty moments and stuff that. I started to think like, oh, wait a second, like the, the creature or the Satan kind of spreads its effect by an exchange of fluids. Okay. Yeah. There's lots of two girls, one Satan tube moments in here. Right. So there's maybe some element of this is like STD related. Perhaps this is at the, uh, the, the height of the AIDS epidemic in the eighties. There may be something going on there. I, I think there's definitely... There's definitely, you know, the fact that one gets filled with fluid and and becomes pregnant. Like, there's definitely some element to this fluid that seems to be representative, perhaps, of uh, uh, semen, I think. And Mm. I, I don't know. I don't know where to go with that. I was watching it, and I was like, is this supposed to be semen? Is this supposed to be like a... Like a, a water of life type of situation where it's been corrupted and it's basically just come. <laughs> That's what we call <laughs> demon semen. Yeah, I, I, I think there's something there. I mean, there's definitely, 
there's definitely a lot of sexual tension throughout. I mean, the, the bit where, um, where Susan gets on top of Lisa, I had to have my wife watch it with me because I thought maybe I was projecting something onto it, but it, it, there's definitely sexual tension there. And it seems like Lisa just realizes, oh, wait, our colleagues are here. And then she's about to say, I can't do this. And then spray water in mouth. <laughs> like, there, there's just a lot of sexual tension going on. Like, even when Kelly comes in to go take a nap, she says something like, hey, put your clothes on. It, they're supposed to be there for two days. <laughs> what? What True. is this? Just like, scientists fuck monsters? Like, what is going on? <laughs> and, you know, there is that one scene in there where uh, the lady that's getting possessed by the satanic spirit, she goes just full-on face squirter mode, and her face is a fountain. <laughs> face squirt. <laughs> face squirt. <laughs> she gushing. Yeah. Just gushing. Just a face gusher, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, but th there's, there's definitely something going on there, and I, I'll have to pay attention next time I watch because I just kind of noticed it watching before we started recording that there's just so much sex potential STD connections not really sure how that would be connected back to science and religion but I'll I'll look into it let me ask you how you think this connects to the apocalypse trilogy in terms of how this relates to the thing and, and mouth of madness because now that I've finally seen the three I'll be out of out of order if there is an order to watch these in yeah um I do see like kind of some passing of batons going from movie to movie where we sort of have like scientists stuck in a lab in the thing. Right. That baton gets passed to this. The which is reality stuck in a church. Yeah. Which then yeah, goes exactly. to church. Like that is yeah. in the mouth of madness is full on about religion in a lot of ways. Yeah. It, yeah. Predetermination and mm -hmm. religion and, and God powers and stuff like that is what that yeah. movie is about. So I kind of see you know, the thing is very science. Mouth of Madness is very religion. And this movie is really right there in the apex mm -hmm. of it, of like science meets religion in a lot of ways to me. Yeah. Yeah. I think that is kind of what uh, he was going for. Like he, he links these movies together. Of course, the studios didn't. So, you know, you can take any of this with a grain of salt because this is obviously theorizing. But I, I watched the Apocalypse trilogy recently and... What we get at the beginning of the thing is whatever it was came from outer space, right? Um, yeah. Whatever it is can take on human form once it figures it out. Jesus came down in human form, according to Prince of Darkness. Yeah, and he was an alien. <laughs> and he was an alien. Is it possible that the creature in the thing was a good and meant to stop the apocalypse? Oh man, that'd be super cool. That would really be cool, cool if that was the case. But yeah. then it's also like then the the question that it leaves at the end is, oh, they just they killed the savior of the human race because they didn't understand it and they're scientists. It really then <laughs> puts back like what you were saying, the way that the this movie questioned science and religion, it questioned science. Like they're immediately killing this. It's I mean, it's taking on their shape and stuff, but we don't know that what it's doing is meant to be bad. And if you hmm. take it in context with what we learn about Jesus, it's possible that this was one of Jesus's, you know, fellows who came to earth to save us from this 
devil that's in Los Angeles in uh, Chinatown. <laughs> like, <laughs> it, it's possible. And I, he's connecting those things, so I, I think that is what it's getting at. And then that, I'm assuming, the things get out. The, the end of this movie is that they don't actually stop it, and that uh, Sutter Kane in In the Mouth of Madness is writing these books that are telling people what is coming. And it is the coming of the Prince of Darkness's army. Wow. Which, that, I think that's the story that's meant to be running through. And dude, either way you slice it, you know, with the that kind of shared subject matter of, of science and religion in those three movies, I think that I think that either way it's super fascinating and super effective and and scary because from either perspective you're talking about trying to figure out just what the hell is going on here and finding reasons for why things are the way they are and where they came from and where they're going yeah. by observing things that are invisible that we can't see with our naked eyes that we don't really understand. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like, that's both subjects, really. Yeah, it is. So I think it's very effective to craft this apocalyptic narrative out of that because either way, whether it's the apocalypse caused by spiritual forces or by scientific forces, we're the casualties. Right. <laughs> that's what's scariest about yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> and at the, the thing is, at the center of it, I think that this reveals is that us being the casualties doesn't even matter to either yeah. side. Like, they're right. just uh, un, they're unattached. Like, these are all, of course, based off of uh, Lovecraft in some way. And that is a part of the Lovecraftian horrors is that they don't see humans as anything special or different. They're just creatures to them. Yeah. So, you know, the the god and Satan in, in this that are presented, neither one is invested in humanity. They're mm -hmm. invested in stopping the other. That's it. Yeah. And then, you know, you can also turn and say science is every bit as cold where, yep. mm -hmm. yeah, the, the cell of the disease that is inhabiting your body and destroying it. It doesn't care about you. Nope. <laughs> like, it doesn't. Everything gets super yeah. cold and uncaring at yep. a certain point, doesn't it? It does. It really <laughs> I does. like life as he sees. <laughs> and I'll tell you what, it's not a John Carpenter movie without a proper JCST. I'm talking about that synthesizer soundtrack that we got uh -huh. bumping literally the entire movie. Uh, this movie has nonstop soundtrack. Like, mm -hmm. there's not an unmusical moment in this entire thing, which is wildly ambitious that it he is. and Alan Howarth just decided to do like, well, we'll just make movie uh, music for the entire thing. Apparently the soundtrack album for this is like two something hours long. And the movie is like wow. an hour 45. Like <laughs> they wrote like two hours of music for this. Just in case. Yeah. Pretty yeah. wild stuff. I can't say that like, any of the themes in here are as memorable as what we got out of, let's say, Halloween or Mouth of Madness with right. that very cool Inner Sandman-like soundtrack, which our good buddy Jeremy Curl just posted on the Dead and Lovely Facebook oh, yeah. group, his cover of it, which is really, really cool. It was awesome, yeah. But I don't think the themes in this are as memorable, but no. I never really felt like it got in the way or was like cheesy no, or anything. It's driving, I think. It's meant to just yeah. uh, maintain tension but not to ever be too much, ever too in the way. It it is it's um it's something you forget while watching it that there's been music the whole time. 
Yeah. Like it just kind of becomes the heartbeat of the the movie where it just happens. It's going to, you're going to hear that like over and over that just sort of simple synthesizer line that it opens with kind of keeps happening. Then every once in a while, some more stringy stuff like it, nothing ever overly, uh, ever overtaking the movie itself. Mm hmm. Yeah, I agree. And I think the way that it is kind of nonstop does sort of help it not take you out of it when suddenly there's music going again and you're noticing it. It's like the fact that it's always going means you don't notice it. It's like white yeah. noise in a sense where, yeah. you know, if it's been a totally dead quiet room and you start hearing white noise or something like that, you notice it. But if it's always there, you just tune it out. Yeah. It just kind of becomes yep. part of the scenery, I guess. And that also kind of helped me enjoy some of the the really good performances in here. I mean, I talked earlier about how some of the characters I found to be kind of flat, but man, like Donald Pleasance does a really, really good job he in does. this. I think that we're used to seeing him being super over the top and I shot him six times and being like kind right. of loony. He's pretty subdued in this movie, actually. He is. And it's in between Phenomena and Halloween 4. So two of his more ridiculous roles. Yeah. <laughs> and he's super subdued. Yeah, it's it's nice to see cuz that is he's very good at it. He's very good at playing the subdued role that also can't like he can suddenly have more like to him, you know. He he suddenly will just get more passionate, but he's he's a he's very calm, relaxed. The way he and uh, Victor Wong, Professor Birak interact is is I mean, it's it's the philosophical center of the movie. Uh, I love Victor Wong in this as well. He He's great, yeah. Absolutely great. He was in Big Trouble in Little China. We've talked about him before in Tremors, also in Golden Child. I didn't know much about Victor Wong. I got Man alive, dude. I sent you this. I This dude in crazy. He, world's he, most interesting man, Victor world's Wong. Mo- yeah, for real. He's like the Chinese-American Forrest Gump if he were a genius. Like, yeah. the guy the guy was in the original Second City company that was forming, left because his comedy didn't fit with them, at the time was living with poet Langston Hughes in Chicago, moved <laughs> to San Francisco in the early 60s to study painting under Mark Rothko, Holy moly. <laughs> Got a master's degree in painting. Uh, was also friends with Jack Kerouac and several other beat generation poets and appears in Jack Kerouac's novel, Big Sur, as I can't remember what the name they gave him. Uh, the guy what was the hell? didn't start acting until his late 40s. Didn't start acting in like film and television until his late 40s. Uh, did almost, uh, I think it was like 38 projects. He had a stroke when one of his sons died and then later in life had another stroke and then on september 11th Mm -hmm. 2001 he had uh two sons who lived in new york and he was you know worried and trying to get contact with them they eventually got into contact with him and he kind of stayed up late to sort of wind down because you know, he'd been wound up all day and staying up late. He had a heart attack and died in the wee hours of September 12th Dude. because he was worried about his kids. This The craziest set of circumstances. This guy just had such a wild life. You just read about him. He had so much more interesting stuff about him. 
Dude, that is crazy. Mm-hmm. Awesome, awesome Victor Wong. Loved him in this. Um, he had Bell's palsy, which is why his face was kind of uh, down on one side. Uh, never really recovered from it. But that look actually was what got him hired a lot. Oh, really? People liked, yeah, the people liked the look of just, you know, the one eye being a bit more open. It did get, it does give him sort of a, a wise look. I don't know why totally, you look yeah. at him and you're just like, <laughs> that guy knows what's up. Yep. <laughs> well, I, I usually didn't say that whenever I looked on, let's say, Jim Ross. Yeah, that's true. I was like, that guy knows barbecue sauce for sure. But <laughs> yeah, he knows barbecue sauce. I don't know what else. He knows wrestling. That's <laughs> yeah. probably the majority of it, honestly. <laughs> that's about Oklahoma football, I'm sure. But Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, there's some great performances in here. There's, I think, a really great visual flair to this movie. I definitely see where you know, his visual style was heading and how that ended up at Mouth of Madness and stuff. Yeah. I think there's a lot of kind of shared visual information between these two movies because yeah. I think this flick looks great. Yeah, it does. Absolutely. It shares the same cinematographer, Kib, I think is his name. Um, he he was a uh, cinematographer on this, on They Live, and on The Mouth of Madness, and you really can, just watching those three movies, see a sort of progression from carpenter's sort of style to integrating his uh new cinematographer style and it, it looks great love the way it looks love the way it progressed into in the mouth of madness wish that maybe he had gotten to work on some better projects with carpenter instead of the village of the damned remake and vampires but whatever yeah. <laughs> those movies still look good yeah there you go <laughs> they at least look good that's right yeah this is a really, really cool flick. And like I said, I was very excited to watch it because it was just one of the few Carpenter flicks that's left yeah. from his classic horror era that I've not gotten to see. And I wasn't disappointed. Like, there's things about it that I think could be stronger. I, I think a more charismatic set of main characters, a Brian and Catherine, I wish there was more to them. And I wish that, you know, I realized they were trying to do this on a low budget. I mean, they did it for like three million bucks and in 30 days. And, you know, he drafted in a lot of actors and actresses that he's worked with prior. But I do wish they could have found somebody with just some more charisma, some more likability and more on-screen chemistry. Because I don't find the two of them to be particularly fantastic. But again, there's so many other great performances in the movie that I'm, I'm pretty okay with it. And just the subject matter of this flick is obviously right up my alley. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it really, really worked for me. And I know that it's one that I'm definitely going to watch many more times and probably pick up more and more and more about every time that I watch it because I think that I think that John did just the right amount of unexplaining in this and just leaving stuff open and leaving a reason for you to rewatch it rather than just spelling out every last little thing that he's trying to say. Yeah. I like that he left it pretty open and that that also mimics religion and science. There's unexplainable, you know, unsolved things and all of that. So this movie shouldn't be any different considering that it's really a melding of those two subjects. So I'm okay with some of the ambiguity. I get probably it put a lot of people off to be dealing with, you know, these quantum mechanics topics and stuff like this. Yeah. You, you know, back then and now I'm sure a lot of that stuff is just like, what the fuck are they talking about? But I'm really, really into all that stuff, so I thought that it was super, super fucking cool, man. Do you have any final thoughts, observations about this, some bitch? Uh, it's a, it's a whole big old bunch of a movie for a, a small price, so I think uh, definitely 
worked out for the studio and for John Carpenter and uh, now watching it what 15 uh, well no 25 years later 35 years later how long has <laughs> it been how old what? are we holy <laughs> shit what day is it you there <laughs> it's Boy. christmas day son oh get me a newspaper um <laughs> so i i think that uh, this movie is great i really love it it's so carpenter it is extremely John Carpenter. Uncut, it, undiluted. Yeah, straight this out is the pump. Pure shit right here. Uh I I really like this movie. It has its issues, its flaws. I I would say I don't think the characters need to be more uh charactery. I I right. like that we I like that they fall into the background kind of. I like that. But I can see a movie where they are. Uh, there is more character study with maybe fewer characters that still takes the story in a good direction. So um, the movie could be different and still be improved or good or whatever. I like it the way it is, but it's also not perfect and it's real hard to follow. And I bet back in the 80s, uh, that was frustrating. Uh, likely. Likely. Now for me... Uh, to rate this, it's it's. I mean, it's not a perfect movie. It's got its issues, but they're not. They don't bother me. That's yeah. that's my problem. Same. Is that its issues don't bother me. So um, I I can't give it a perfect score because I realize the issues are there, but it doesn't bother me at all. I'm giving this uh, an eight and a half. I feel that. I feel that mm -hmm. entirely, man. Yeah, we're like there's just so much about this movie that that speaks to me on my levels of interest and just, you know, the execution mm -hmm. and just that classic, you know, John Carpenter feel like this is unmistakably yeah. Carpenter. Yeah. Uh, every step of the way, including just some weird offbeat humor that, mm -hmm. you know, is definitely a trait of his. I think that he has a, a real knack for introducing a little bit of humor into ridiculous situations in horror movies and that somehow makes them more believable where yeah. if you were there you'd also probably be like yeah this is pretty fucking ridiculous yeah right? you'd make jokes <laughs> you obviously if you make jokes in regular life you're gonna make jokes in in scary moments you're gonna try to find some levity yeah yeah and you know again sometimes that goes a little bit far for me with like some of Walter's stupid jokes and stuff like that. I get what you're saying, though, where it's like, well, yeah, he's not supposed to be funny, but yeah, nobody you know, at the same at time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So some of it doesn't exactly land with me, but I still appreciate a lot about it. I think probably an eight or so is where I would sit on this movie as well. It's mm -hmm. uh, it's not as good to me as The Thing or uh, Mouth of Madness. I think that's fair, yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, I think it's probably the least of the Apocalypse trilogy, but it's still pretty fucking awesome man yeah pretty fucking awesome Real movie fun. so if you're a nerd and you like <laughs> john carpenter and you like things that are nice i recommend scoping this flick out now steve next week on the show we're going to be covering a movie that we're going to tell them about after we tell them where to follow us on the uh, instagram and the social media and stuff on instagram and the social media and stuff you can follow us at dead lovely pod yeah. on twitter and instagram you can go over to the, the, the facebook.com forward slash dead and lovely you, you can. can go all over the place. You can go to patreon.com forward slash dead and lovely. Become a mm -hmm. patron. If you become a patron, you can get access to the to the movie, the the the, the Patreon exclusive episodes we do. <laughs> you can also yeah. you can also uh, uh, become a five dollar patron. You get to submit a thing that we randomly draw 
blah, blah, blah. You drive the ship. Boom. You get it. Find out about it. <laughs> and as I mentioned earlier, be sure to rate on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you can rate podcasts. Really, really does help us out a lot. So please be sure to do that. And also be sure to tune in next week where we're going to be talking about... Scare me! Now, which scare me are we talking about? Because there are two scare me's that are available right now. Scare me's out there that both came out in 2020. So the one we were talking about is the one starring Aya Cash, A Y A C A S H. All right, that's the one you want to be peeping Mm -hmm. for next week's episode, huh? You just watched this and you said it was a mighty good flick. Yep, it's on Shudder. It is well worth a watch. All right, well, challenge accepted. I will watch that movie and report back next week with my thoughts on it, and I hope you guys tune in and check it out as well. Well, you guys be sure to tune in next week. We'll be breaking that flick down and enjoying ourselves a code beer going right in our faces In the meantime, I hope everybody is staying happy, wealthy, and wise, Mm -hmm. and washing your hands. And your ass. Mm -hmm. Living like a bunch of fancy horses. Mm -hmm. I've been Uncle Ben. I've been Hollywood Steve. We've been dead and lovely, and you guys have been fantastic. Catch you next week. So, you know, Steve, there's a couple of states here in the United States of America mm-hmm. which have a, a stand-your-ground gun law, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. I know about this. You can just blow somebody away if need be. Right. That's just how it is. USA. And you know what? I got to thinking here recently about how funny I Won't Back Down by Tom Petty gets if you imagine that the lyrics are about stand-your-ground gun laws. Okay. I mean, think about it right here. Okay, lyrics. Let's hear You can stand me up at the gates of hell, right. but I won't back down. Okay. Hey, Steve, I'm, I'm going to stand my ground. Mm-hmm. I won't be turned around right. and keep this world from dragging me down. <laughs> I'm going to stand my ground. Right, right. Hey, baby, there ain't no easy way out. Stand my ground. I won't back down. In a world that just keeps on pushing me around... Oh. I'm going to fucking kill somebody for setting foot on my property. Oh, no. Maybe that's what the song is about. Jesus, I hope not. I liked Tom Petty. <laughs> <laughs> Till I hey, found man, he's out got a about right this. to defend him and his own. <laughs> well, there's also the secret deleted fourth verse where he says, I've kind of always wanted to shoot somebody. <laughs> this seems like a good reason. That kind of gives it away. I like to put myself... In situations where I might get to. <laughs> wow. And I won't back that, down. I can see why they cut that. I get it. <laughs> yeah. It's a little on the nose there, Tom. <laughs> <laughs>